Uh, the first readings from Isaiah, chapter 45, uh, which you will find on page 1133 in the large print Bibles, and 505, I believe, in the small print. So it's Isaiah 45, reading from verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, my reading uh, today is from the uh, uh, Gospel of St. John at uh, chapter 19 and verses uh, 8 to 11. You'll find that at page uh, 753 of the Pew Bibles and uh, page 1683 of the large print Bibles. 753 in the Pew and uh, 1683 of the large print. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. This is the word of the Lord. Character is important. Maybe you can remember back when your children, your teenage son, started to go out with a, a girl and he came home and you said to him, what's she like? And if you were lucky, he said, all right. <laughs> if it was a girl, you might have got a little bit more out of her. God is not like that. He's not short on telling us what he's like. That's why we have the Word of God. And so I'm going to begin a series on the character of God. Today I'm going to preach on his sovereignty and love, next week again on his love, and go through, except for when I'm away in December, on God's character. So let me pray and then we'll talk, I'll talk about his sovereignty. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we do pray that as we look into it this morning, it will actually not just be 
a dry intellectual pursuit, but that you might actually reveal or remind us through your word of what you're like and that it might be of comfort to us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Security is an important thing. I was quite insecure this morning about this service. The 8.30 service I wasn't worried about because they're all senior citizens and they're all old-fashioned. They use paper. We have a prayer book, we have a hymn book and we just go on that way. But you people are modern. You use a modern invention. It's called electricity. <laughs> but even more modern than that is our computer. And I had to prepare the service and use PowerPoint, which I haven't used for some time. And I did it at home on my computer, and as you can see by today, I made a couple of mistakes. My great sweat was that having put it on my memory stick, would it work in your computer? I have had it fail once when I went to speak at somewhere and I had to turn around and go home, all the way home, 40 minutes drive and get my computer and bring it back because we couldn't make the memory stick work in the computer where I was. Security is important. And this morning, I want to turn our attention to our sovereign God. I've given you an outline, and I've given it to you for a couple of reasons. One is the fact that there are so many verses, I actually can't draw your attention to all of them and I don't intend to do so. So you can take it home and you can look at it at your leisure. I'll just draw your attention to some verses. There are non-Christians who actually believe in a sovereign God. They actually don't put it in those words, but they say things like this. When it rains, they might well say, send it down, Huey. Or if they have some... Good luck, as they call it. They might say, the man upstairs likes me. Or, tragically, if someone dies, they may well say, well, when your number's up, your number's up. Fortunately, we know a little bit more. The Christian's God has a plan. And it is an eternal plan. In Psalm 33, in verse 11, it says, The plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. And anyone who wishes to implement a plan must have some control. And the Bible actually starts there. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, In the beginning God created. And in the very last chapter, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 3, 
we are given a picture of the sovereign God being on his throne. And so from chapter 1 to the end of the book, we have God being seen as sovereign. And a sovereign God can do as he chooses. Job wrote these words about God towards the end of his book. In Job 42 and verse 2 it says, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. The psalmist said this in Psalm 115, God does as he pleases. We hear a lot at the moment about the sovereignty of nations, especially with Brexit and, uh, and the issues in the Middle East that uh, America is involved in. But the wonderful thing for we as Christians is that we know that God is sovereign over all the nations. And given some of the rulers of the past and some of the rulers of the present, it is of great comfort to us that in the end, God is sovereign. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 23 and 24, we read these words. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, the wind blows on them and they wither. A whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. British Roman, uh, the British Empire is all but gone. The Roman Empire is gone. No matter how long they seem to go on for, eventually they come to an end. So God is sovereign over his nations and that should be of comfort to us. But we can bring it down from that and we can be reminded that he is sovereign over each person. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9, we read this. In his heart man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And in a passage which is of great comfort to us, or should be of great comfort to us, Jesus talks about sparrows. Now, how many billion sparrows would there be in the world? And yet the Bible tells us that our Heavenly Father knows where each one of it lands. He knows how many hairs we have on our heads. Some of us give him less trouble than we used to in regards to that. But he knows how many hairs we have. It's a passage which is encouraging us not to worry and to remember God's sovereign care of us. But the thing is, we live in a world where things go wrong or seemingly go wrong from our point of view. And after preaching on the sovereignty of God, one lady at a church where I worked, one lady came to me after the service at morning tea and said this to me, I don't believe that it was God's will that my young brother die. Now, 
she has raised a number of issues for us that I want to address this morning. Is she right or is she wrong? Well, the answer, I believe, is yes and no. She is right that God doesn't want people to die. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we are told that God made human beings to have a permanent relationship with him. Everything at the time was good. There was no death, no pain, no suffering. All human beings had to do was to pay attention to the word of God and all would be well. Here was God with Adam and Eve. Things were perfect. But Adam and Eve sinned. God didn't want people to die. He didn't want that to happen. Adam and Eve and human beings were to live in a perfect relationship with God forever and ever. But because of sin, death came. We are actually born to die now, where originally we were born to live forever and ever. There was to be no death. But because of sin, the broken world that we live in, death has come. So the lady was right in one way. God does not want anyone to die. But if the lady was talking about God not being completely sovereign, we have a real dilemma. For really what she is saying, that God is sovereign over some events but not over others. This was a similar dilemma that a, a fellow by the name of Rabbi Kushner faced. He was a Jewish rabbi who had survived the concentration camps. But he had a son who at age three developed the disease which makes people get very old before their time. So at age 14, he was, looked like he was 50. Kushner, as a Jew, didn't have the New Testament. But he had the Old Testament and he read through the Old Testament. And he wrote a book about what he believed. When bad things happen to good people, it sold four million copies. So he obviously scratched where people were itching. He couldn't, in the end, believe in a God who is sovereign. He believed in a God who was loving, but he couldn't believe in a sovereign God. He says this, God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives that sometimes he cannot bring about. It's too difficult, even for God to keep cruelty and claim chaos from claiming innocent lives. He believed that such things as bushfires and car accidents were random chance. 
Now, my mum was made a paraplegic in a car accident. I had three other close members of my family killed in separate car accidents. So, random chance, fluke, bad luck. God is loving. What do I do? Where does it go? Where do you find security? I want to draw your attention to two people in the Bible and to work from there in regards to answering that question. The first person is Joseph. Some of us who went to Sunday know all about Joseph from Sunday school, but many of us would know about him anyway. As you know, he was a spoilt brat. He was the envy of his brothers and they decided to get rid of him. And they sold him into slavery and he was eventually sold to the king of Egypt, the pharaoh. He spent time in jail because Potiphar's wife wrongly accused him of him trying to seduce her. He rose, as we know, to be the prime minister of Egypt. Drought came, famine came, and there was no food. His brothers came from their country to Egypt to get food. They came a first time. He said nothing to them. He knew who they were and said nothing. They went back. The food ran out. They came back a second time. He revealed himself to them. Must have been very frightening for them to stand before this man who had such power now but also who they had cruelly mistreated and who he could rightly blame for doing him in. And what does he say to his brothers? Here was an awful situation and I guess if I ask you, you could talk to me about how family members might have harmed you. What does he say about that? In the first comment in the Bible about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It didn't look apparent, but God was orchestrating the events which led to the salvation, both physically and spiritually, of his people. God is not responsible for the evil of the brothers, but he was able to use it to bring about the best thing for his people. The suffering that comes upon us is in the hands of God. He don't, never takes his unblinking eye off us. We will ask the questions why 
And that's a good question to ask and we might get some answers. The second person is God's son. It is the same with the death of Jesus. Is it a fluke? Is it chance? Is it the power of Pontius Pilate? Is it, does it, is it the, the Jewish religious leaders, do they get their way? Yes, they do get their way. But is it out of the hands of God? The answer is no. Pilate says this to Jesus in John chapter 19. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And how does Jesus answer? He says this. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It was God's will that Christ go to the cross for us. The Bible is quite clear on that. It doesn't take God by surprise. It's all planned. And so the things that each one of us go through, while they may be horrible, God is using those things in our lives. We are secure in his sovereignty. Now, if God was a nasty God, vindictive and vicious, it would give us great cause for anxiety and worry. But the Bible reminds us that God isn't just loving. He is more than that. You see, we're loving... We love one another and then sometimes we're nasty to one another. The Bible says in one of John's letters, God is love. In other words, it is his very essence and I'll fill this out a bit more next week. It is his very being to be loving. Now, we can't answer, why did this happen? We can find some reasons for it at times. But ultimately, it's in the hands of God. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is linked comfortingly to his love. He is sovereign over all events. There's no such thing, as far as I can see in the scriptures, of flukes or bad luck. And as we move on in our congregational life, we've lost the license and their guidance, and this morning I wouldn't have been, if it was last week, anywhere near worried about my memory step if Steve was here because I knew he'd be able to fix it. But he's not. And it worked, sort of. 
where is our security? Well, it's right to have security in one another. God gave us each other. It's one of the reasons he gave marriage. It's the reason why he gives us congregations. We support one another. We encourage one another. We are actually better than Weight Watchers. But ultimately, our security is not in one another. Ultimately, it is in our sovereign, loving God who cares for each one of us individually and for us as a congregation. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do ask that you will help us think through these issues. And Father, if I've opened up wounds, I pray, Father, by your spirit you might take your word and help us through what we're concerned about. We commit to you ourselves, our loved ones that we're concerned about, and our congregation into your sovereign hand. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.